Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Nick Ralston, number 46, is a fullback for the Dallas Cowboys. He went to Arizona State, Louisiana, and he has overcome a lot of adversity to make it to the NFL. His story of going from underdog to professional athlete will inspire you, and there is a lot that we're going to dive into, so... Nick, thank you so much for being here. As we were saying before we hit record, even in the off season, your conditioning is pretty intense on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So thank you for taking the time on Wednesday, your rest day to come in. And I'm just looking forward to this conversation with you, my friend. Yeah, I am too. And like I said, I'm really honored to be on your podcast, you know, learning your story, listening to your audiobook, Gift of Adversity, and even your TED Talk. You know, you've been through so much and I'm really honored to you know, sit here and talk with you and, you know, relate on both the adversity that we've faced. Adversity is a universal law, as we know, yeah. and we can know all about it. It's just like a football play. On paper, it always works, but the enemy has, has a vote and they're going to push and they're going to blitz and they're going to change it. They're going to have audibles. And if we don't have that capacity, if we don't have the mentality affixed to us about adversity before we get into the fray, it's too late. And now it's hard for us to adapt. You know, it's funny how much, you know, war and life and football you know, relate to one another. So, I mean, I feel like I'm getting ready to play a football game right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting ready to run outside the tunnel and yep. and bring it in front of 70,000 people. <laughs> I love it. And you grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? I did. I was born in Dallas in 1996. I think earlier that year, they had just won the Super Bowl. But we moved to a suburb of Dallas called Flower Mound. And eventually, like in middle school, I moved down the road in Argyle. It's about 50 minutes from Dallas. But, you know, I grew up you know, being a Dallas Cowboy fan and cheering him on, cheering Tony Romo, Jason Witten. And, uh, you know, I'm actually at the star right now where our world headquarters are. And I'm sitting at a room right now looking at uh, Jason Witten. But it's the real, you know, growing up a Dallas Cowboy fan and then somehow, by God's grace, you know, becoming a Dallas Cowboy. And it's still so surreal. You know, I try to appreciate what is going on right now in my life, but sometimes it's just so amazing that I don't think I can truly grasp how blessed I am. That's sort of the nature of it, right? We can be as present as we would like, but the significance of that presence often we don't have until it's in the past. So it's so important for us to be present in that. And like you said, it must be, as you say, surreal to be in that place, but also it helps you understand that these people that we always look up to, we've met people, they're human. They have faults. Their days are not motivated. Their days that they're not inspired. But at the same time, if we're around them enough, it actually gives us more inspiration. It helps us appreciate them more because when we know that you're the people that you now play with, people like David Goggins, Jocko, whomever, they're not always going to be motivated. They're just not. But being able to have that discipline, have that routine, have that consistency, that's what separates the people that are in the position that you're in now from everybody else that wants to do it. You know, David Goggins has that famous quote where he says, you know, motivation is crap. When you're driven, everything in front of you will be destroyed. Because, you know, there's times in, in, in football, in life, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, you're in pain, you're, you're uncomfortable, and you, you don't have the motivation. But when you have the discipline to build, you know, positive habits, it keeps you going through those really unmotivated, painful moments. Those routines that we do, it creates that momentum. So even on the time when we hit the mud, even the time when we hit the bump, even when we get off track, that momentum will save us and it will give us grace, even maybe when we don't feel like we're worthy of it at the time. But that allows us to redouble our efforts whenever we do get back into the groove and doing what you're doing. I mean, you're in the off season. So explain to us what an NFL player's off season looks like, because a lot of people think that that means you just sit on the couch and eat nachos. And uh... <laughs> it's different for each guy depending on how your body's feeling after the season. But usually when the season's over, it's just like this abrupt stop and we don't have to show up for 
you know, things till end of April. Uh, we call those OTAs, organized training activities. So you have this like three or four or five month block where you got to have the discipline to continue. Once you get your recovery to continue training and, you know, develop professionally like me, a lot of guys travel. I'm like a worker bee and I, I don't like not working and improving and growing. And I have to have something that I'm working towards just because I think I've just been conditioned in a way to, you know, always work towards something. And that can be a blessing and it can be a curse because sometimes I feel like I can't, you know, chill or, or rest or whatever. But then, you know, I'm like 25. I got all this energy. And I got time to take on these projects. I've got time to leverage the Dallas Cowboy and NFL brand to open doors. And that's what, you know, I've been doing the past couple months. So tell us what your days look like. Tell us what your conditioning looks like. And then we'll get into what the rest of your days look like as well. Right. So, you know, we train four days a week, split between upper body and lower body, upper body, lower body. You know, it's, it's really not that complicated. It's the same kind of training that I've been doing, you know, my whole life, you know, whether it's Olympic lifting or squats or plyometrics, you really just stick to the basics. It's just mastering the basics. We do run a lot, but I mean, it's whether it's gassers, you know, where you're running across the field or agility or, you know, different football related movements. We'll lift for about an hour and then we'll run for about an hour. So you're really getting about two workouts in, in a short time span in a day. And then, you know, you want to recover the rest of the day. You do that Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday will be similar type, uh, you know, workouts. But I mean, during the season, it's, you know, you're pretty much doing stuff from like, seven to five thirty it seems sometimes. That gets really tiring over the course of the season because you know you play for twenty four weeks if you include training camp and preseason. So but you know like in the off season you have so much time. You get done with working out in the morning and then you have all this other time to just chill or do whatever you want. So I mean it's been cool to actually get into an NFL off season because when you're coming out of college, you end your season and then you immediately start training for the combine or your pro day. Which they, you know, in the NFL, that first year is the longest year of your life because you don't get any rest. So it's been nice to, you know, get my first NFL offseason started. I feel recharged. I'm ready to get back, you know, playing football, but I've got a lot of other things I'm doing as well. It's an important time. Like you said, you're only going to get this opportunity to have the newness once. And there's sort of a blessing in that because we have an idea of what's coming, but we don't have the specifics of it. So in a lot of ways, it, it is still new, even though it's something that it's not completely out of the realms of what we expect in the process. So that's a, a powerful time. It is, you know, it's exciting time because there's so much potential. There's so much that can be done when you're in a position like I am right now in the NFL, especially the Dallas Cowboys, because the Dallas Cowboys are America's team and they're the flagship of the NFL. And, you know, the resources that not only the organization, but Jerry Jones and the Jones family provide us are unmatched. And seeing the success that he's had building the Cowboys brand and, you know, all the business he does, you know, real estate, oil and gas, you know, everything he does off the field, he's successful in whatever he does. So I think that's been something that's been motivating for me is to see how, how successful he's been, you know, in business and on the field. You know, we go anywhere, we play any team anywhere. We'll have the craziest fans lining up to watch us go onto the bus before we even go to the stadium. So, you know, every day I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness, uh, whether it's Jerry Jones or the Cowboys organization or just my fellow teammates. Yeah, of course, you should elevate to that level. I mean, you don't have any choice. Even if you're the, the new guy, you still want to bring that the best that you can. In the martial arts, they say if you train around killers, you have another option other than to become one. So Percent. that iron sharpens the iron. And we connected kind of from this level of understanding adversity and understanding what that does and how it's often a gift, but when we're in the heat of it, it doesn't feel like it. And we often cannot see the gift of adversity until we are well beyond it, until we've got past it. Because for a lot of us, we face a trauma or a hardship, and then we want to put as much distance between us and that hardship as we can, like a child that hits a hot stove. But if we can stay in it, if we have like the courage to make that decision and stay present, we can learn a lot about ourselves, and we can learn stuff about ourselves that we would never learn any other way. You're road to the NFL was very much based on adversity. And a lot of people think, oh, you're an NFL player, so now everything is easy for you. Yeah, I'll give you the full rundown. Well, you know, I think the story starts out with my dad growing up nine miles down a dirt road in Quitman, Arkansas, outside of uh, 
Little Rock, but really closer to Conway. And uh, he grew up with nothing. His mom lived in, left in fifth grade. He ended up moving out of his dad's care. I think it may be 15 or 16 to live with another family. He ended up uh, playing basketball at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And then, you know, he has this crazy story where he transfers schools, comes back to Arkansas. He ended up getting his PhD in basically statistics. And I've seen, you know, how successful he's been, you know, building his company. And then he's always instilled, you know, discipline and structure and stability in my life. My whole life has been sports, football, you know, do well in school. And, uh, you know, I had a historic high school football career and I only had one offer. I mean, I think I ran for like 6,800 yards and 101 touchdowns. Being a white running back, honestly, it's harder. But I got my one opportunity to go to Arizona State. I ended up going there and it's a great school. I mean, it's a party school, but you know, the business school is, is top notch. They had promise as a football program. And, you know, even my career in college wasn't what I expected. There was a revolving door on the coaching staff, new coaching staffs every year. I mean, I had injuries, a lot of soft tissue injuries, broken bones. You know, I had failed relationships. But the one thing that I did do really well in was, you know, school. I graduated with 4.0 GBA and finance. But, you know, after my fourth year, you know, they were going to bring in another coaching staff with a different, you know, offensive philosophy where they wouldn't use a fullback. So I ended up transferring to the University of Louisiana, where Billy Napier was the head coach. And he was previously the offensive coordinator at Arizona State. He's actually now the the head coach at Florida. But, you know, I go there and and I did well and, you know, caught some interest from NFL scouts. And then I, you know, start to train for the NFL at the beginning of 2020. And, uh, you know, my pro day is at the end of March. And then, you know, March 13th, President Trump declares a national emergency or whatever for COVID. So that shut down the world. Scouts couldn't travel to see me. They couldn't. I mean, it was just a shit show. And so I kept training and I was actually dating a girl at the time. You know, my agent told me to keep being ready. And then nothing ended up ever coming, even through training camp. And I actually moved to New York City to be a commercial real estate broker in Manhattan because I was following, you know, that girl up there. And I got there and about 10 days later, you know, she dumps me and tells me to pack my stuff and go home. So, I mean, I was a wreck and my dad flew out and drove home. But I think the worst moment in my life was staying at an extended stay hotel waiting on my dad. I set a timer on my phone so I could watch the clock go down of when he was going to be there because I was just in so much pain. It, you know, it's not physical pain. It's pain in your soul, in your heart. You know, now that I laugh at it, because it just seems funny. But in that moment, it was such a painful moment. Like my expectations that I had built up of what I thought my life would be like, had just shattered right there. You know, I moved across the country, didn't have my friends, didn't have my family, wasn't going to stay there because I moved there, you know, for her, didn't have a job. You know, I've always felt that I've been destined for greatness. And at that moment, I mean, I'm like, dang, I'm, I'm nothing. Maybe I've built this false reality of who I think I am. My dad, you know, drives home. And then that was like August of 2020. You know, after a while, maybe a, a week or two, I just told myself, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to make it in the NFL. You know, what I can do, what I can control is being prepared for my pro day in March of 2021. So, I mean, I went through this whole just process of, of training and in isolation. Because I, I mean, my parents had moved away from the Dallas-Fort Worth area down to Austin. So I was alone and I found a trainer down there and you know, we worked out four to six hours every day. Being alone and isolated, I never got more clarity or self-awareness. I've never been more connected to God. I read so much, listened to so many audiobooks, just looking for answers. And it's funny that your name is Marcus Aurelius because I, I read a lot of you know stoicism on Marcus Aurelius's meditations and, and Seneca and Epictetus, you know, I really resonated with, you know, there's some books by Ryan Holiday on stoicism, uh, ego is the enemy, stillness is key, and the obstacle is the way. You know, during that time, I also flooded my mind with videos and, and of Andy Frazella and David Goggins, Chad Wright, Jocko, Ed Milet, Tony Robbins, Jim Brown, Jim Rohn, Les Brown. Billy Osbrooks, Kobe Bryant, Conor McGregor. I told myself that I could brainwash myself if I just put all this positive things into my mind. And because at first I started because I didn't want to think because it hurts so bad just to reflect on, you know, where I was in my life. So, I mean, there was probably 10 hours of the day 
I would be listening to somebody talking to me that I could do it. You know, one thing Tony Robbins said one time is life happens for us, not to us. And then that goes along with your gift of adversity. My mindset just changed. My perspective changed. And I was like, you know, this is the test of my testimony. Pressure makes diamonds. I think in terms of analogies and, you know, I thought about me being, they make a sword, they cast it into the fire and it heats it up and then they bring it out and they just pound it out. And I thought that, you know, that's what was happening to me. It was a refining process. It was a purification process. Think about hammering a stone and you finally get the stone to break. It wasn't that hit. It was the accumulation of all those hits. So, I mean, I just, I found little tricks to motivate myself to understand what was going on in my life. And I found those examples through other people's story of adversity or things in nature. And, you know, that really helped me get through what was going through because it was such a tough time. And I know that you know what I'm talking about because you're laying there paralyzed from the neck wondering, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You know, you have that regret and you got that second chance. And I feel like I got that second chance after, you know, my pro day, I did really well. There was a Cowboy Scout there that really liked me. And after the draft, my agent called me and said, you're a Dallas Cowboy. You know, I thought I'd feel overjoyed, but I'm like, all right, I expected this. What's the next step? Let's do this. It's interesting because a lot of people, like you said, there's this feeling of elation or this anticipation of elation. But oftentimes when we get to that thing, especially if we've been working for it, we say, I expected this to happen. That Great. That means I'm on the right track. Now what? And it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate it, but it does mean I'm on the right track. I'm laser focused. Check the box. What's next? When do we start? When do I push? What can I do? What can I do now that I'm not doing? Again, if I'm not moving closer to this goal in everything that I'm doing right now in this moment, then I'm, I'm wasting time. I'm wasting potential. And just like you were saying, when you had that second chance, man, you don't want to waste your time. You don't want to be inefficient. You don't want to disrespect this opportunity. And so that's why when you and I were talking, especially at 25 years old, to feel that and to actually act on it, that's the difference. Because right now in social media world, everybody can regurgitate quotes and everybody can talk about stoicism and all this other stuff, but they're not living it. Epictetus says, don't tell me your philosophy, embody it. So everybody right now thinks that they can just absorb all this information and they think that that's the equivalent of having the skill set. They think, oh, I'm familiar with the 80-20 principle. Oh, I'm familiar with, you know, consistency and discipline. Are you living it? Are you being surgical with this thing? Are you hacking away all the stuff that is not serving you? Are you bullshitting yourself? Can you be honest with yourself? Do you have people around you that care enough to kick you in the ass and say, man, that was good, but I don't want you to be good. I want you to be great. And if they demand more from you, it allows us to demand more from ourselves. And then that becomes the standard because a lot of people's idea of a standard is just the bare minimum, frankly. Right. That's what disgusts me is mediocrity. The more that I realize what it takes to be great, the more I realize how much people are average, how much you know bullshit is out there, how much smoke and mirrors, how much stuff people blow smoke up people's asses and they can pretend, but they got to live it. And just seeing that all the work that I've put in it's validation that I was on the right path. And that's only motivating me more to continue that, you know, in my life, not only on the field, but off the field in my relationships, because I, I don't want to be average. I've always felt my whole life that I've been destined for greatness. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew I was going to get there. Some of the, you know, success that I've had recently is just, like I said, validation that I'm on the right path. You know, I've seen so many people when they have a little bit of success. They just go in the wrong direction, you know, and it's like, you just got to do what, what got you there. And just being in the NFL locker room, seeing, you know, a lot of guys make a lot of money. And I'm like, I'm, I think I'm driven by something other than money. It's this internal fire. And if we follow that path, the money happens incidentally, right. the success, whatever it is that most people are chasing, that, that comes as a byproduct of doing it correctly. We will never get any sort of pat on the back or you know, out of boys until it no longer matters to us. So it's important, like you said, to be driven by this internal thing. And the beauty is where you're at, again, you're at the, the highest level. So you have different coaches, you have a conditioning coach, you have a offensive coach, a special teams coach. They're all going to keep you honest. They're all going to let you know if you're not towing the line. So it's going to be hard for you to, to lie to yourself. But the beauty of what you're talking about also is you're using this very functional capacity of philosophy and you're making it something that you can leverage to your advantage. Philosophy is only as good as a person uses it. And you were also talking about the power of your faith. 
So when you can combine those two things and they dovetail into something that is so single-minded, so laser-focused, it's hard for you to not want to get out of bed and just attack every single moment of every single day. 100%. I think, you know, the characteristics that define me, Nick Ralston, are faith, work ethic, and grit. You know, just looking back over my story, I mean, there's this one quote by a Navy SEAL where he talks about never giving up hope. And, you know, there's this verse in the Bible where it's, you know, rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. Faith is conviction in, in things not seen. And if I didn't have the faith that I was going to make it and I didn't combine that with my work ethic, I wouldn't be where I am. You know, you go through all this adversity and you develop toughness and, and, and grit. And I don't know how I've gotten to where I am. I've been blessed and I feel like I have this story and this testimony and, and I'm on here to share it. And anywhere I go, I'm there to share it. But I, I'd say that I'm there to share that, you know, faith, work ethic and grit, you know, are what have gotten me through so much. And I get emotional just thinking about how far I've come. And I know that everybody has that adversity in their life. And, and some people didn't get out the other side, like you and I, you know, and I just feel like it's my responsibility and my obligation to inspire people to get through those dark times. And what, what helped me was faith, work ethic, and grit. I, I think that's a powerful triad. I also think it's powerful because in combination, that's when you get that synergy. I know a lot of people that will do one of those. They'll have faith, but they'll sit back and they'll sit on their hands like a victim and they'll say, oh, well, I've got faith. Bullshit. If you have faith, you would be acting on it. If you believe in God and you believe that he's given you this higher power and that you're in his image, do you think he wants you to sit there on your laurels and not execute? If you have grit, but you don't have faith and you don't have the work ethic, then all you're doing is getting beat up all the time. It doesn't help you. So I hate it when people hide behind a faith or a philosophy and say, oh, well, my real reward is after this. Well, that's fine. But I guarantee that if you can do everything you can on this mortal coil, how much better would you make this world? How much more of an inspiration? How much more of a testimony would it be for you to do that? and show people this is what people do, as opposed to just sitting down and placating and going to be seen once a week with a bunch of other people that are not actually doing anything. Or again, the fake politics around that kind of stuff. I don't think that any of us have that luxury if we are truly trying to make a difference or trying to make impact with what we're doing. Right. We all have that story. We all have that testimony. And I'm just amazed. <laughs> like, you know, like I said, like you have this crazy story where you're paralyzed. And you're sitting here talking to me about adversity. I mean, I got, you know, I had injuries. I had, you know, I got dumped. I had to work hard to get an opportunity. You know, I compare myself to, you know, Rocky. But there's so much power that I got from listening to your story. And I hope that you get something from my story that you can add to your tool belt. Absolutely. Again, adversity, it binds us. If you've been knocked down and you've actually been there and somebody helps you or you remember a quote, a word, you know, even if it was a, a person when you were growing up, like you said, a coach, even at a young age, that may be that one thing that keeps you moving forward. And we are all going to go through darkness. It's, it's coming. It's, it's, it's in route. It's not going to change. It's, it's just inevitable. However, the way that I choose to look at it now, the way I choose to prepare myself for it now, there are no rewards there are no punishments or just consequences of what we are doing to prepare or not prepare. And that is it. So if you don't have these things prepared before you get into it, it's almost like saying, oh, you know, now that I'm drowning in the ocean, I wish I'd learned how to swim. No, this is your time to do it. And hearing your story, seeing what can be done. I have a, a stepdaughter and she's 20. And so for her, it was the same thing. She graduated. She had no senior graduation. It was done on Facebook. And then when she goes to college, she's going to Oklahoma State University right down the road. And we, we move her down there. I'm in Tulsa. We're in Tulsa. And her first year is basically in a room by herself, no roommate, don't get to socialize with people, and she's taking glorified Zoom classes. And so for her, it was pretty brutal, and it, it was difficult. But yet, even talking to her, I said, you know, this is your opportunity. We'll always remember this. And now that things are starting to open up more, she's actually starting to have some of that experience. But it's so hard to to tell somebody that when they're going through it. It's so hard to say, you know, it's okay, you're going to be fine. But for her, she's been an athlete. She played volleyball most of her life. So she has that grit and that resilience. And then once she was able to have this radical acceptance of like, listen, I can't control this, but I can control this over here. I can control the way I look at it. I can control if I'm going to go work out, what I eat, what I put into my mind, what I put into my body. And that is where a lot of people get it wrong. They think that they can control things that are outside their control. 
they think they can control the opinion of somebody that they care about or they want to impress or a loved one when we have no control over that. And seeking that actually leads us on the wrong path and we end up wasting a lot of time and energy. But when we understand how precious this moment is, how precious this capacity to make a decision and then take action is, it puts more gravity to every single thing that we do. And it makes us much more selective about not only the people that we talk about, but the things that we allow into our space, into our lives. And that's why we have to be hyper-vigilant. I know that some people, again, adversity being a gift, it's easy for you to say that, you know, you're in this place. But just like with your story, it's a three-part story. There's before, there's where you are now, but the part in the middle, that's what people need. That's what people want to hear. That's what people have to see more of because they're all going through it at some place. And if they allow that to be their limitation, they will never get above it. They will always stay stuck there. They'll become resentful. They'll wallow in mediocrity. They'll be around more people that are going to be that way. And before you know it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and they cannot get out even if they wanted to. Right. Misery loves company and you know habits are like chains. Over time, they get heavier and heavier. And like you said, that even if they want to change, they can't. And it is important to share. I mean, I, I just don't feel like as a society, we, we like to share the highs and the lows, but not, you know, like that middle piece where that grid is forged. You know, it was cool on the Cowboys. We'd have, you know, rookie meetings every week. And with the special teams coach, call him Coach Bones, he would do this little segment called What About You? And it was just a a way for us to introduce ourselves to our teammates and, and tell our story. And it was so interesting that everybody comes from a different walk of life, a different culture, different religion, you know, different geographically. And every single person had this crazy story and adversity that they overcome. I was blown away, like that I could relate to everybody on that level, you know, that we all have overcome challenges to get where we are today. And I'm like, He's my teammate, but dang, he's he's my brother, man. We've been through it. I can trust that guy. He's been through it, man. And I, I think about myself and I get strength knowing that somebody else has been through something worse and they're through that. I get strength in hearing their stories and it only makes me want to want to help them more and to love them as a friend and a brother, you know, hearing the things that they've been through. And that's just a small sample. Everybody has that story. Everybody has, you know, adversity that they overcome. And, you know, we're all underdogs in a sense. My team and I are working on a project, you know, about underdogs and inspiring underdogs everywhere to never give up on their journey to success. And, you know, I'd love to be back on the podcast when we officially release it because it's going to be major, but adversity is something that everybody has. I feel like in society, we'd all get along with one another better if we could just share the adversity that we've been through, you know, because that's the common factor. We like to focus on the 1% that we don't have in common, but we all, 100% of us have adversities. And if we focused on that, you know, I think the world in general would be in a better place. I agree. If we had a table and we put all of our adversities and all of our problems on it, it would absolutely bind us. And there'd be times, like you said, that we would grab ours back willingly saying, man, at least I'm not going through that. And just like you were saying about that being something that strengthens us, it was the same way in the military. When you're in a team, it's the same thing. You have this person that you don't know from wherever it is. And in the infantry, it was very much probably like it is there where every guy that enters there is an alpha. Every guy there was like the strongest guy, the fastest guy, the smartest, the best shot, whatever it was. So what? Now we're here. Now are you coachable? Now can you learn? Now can you adapt? Are you going to be a good team player? Are you going to try to act like a prima donna? Because they're going to beat that out of us quickly. So you have to get to that place. And then as you were saying before, knowing that somebody has gone through hardship when we're in the heat of it, that's the person I want with me. Somebody that's already been through stuff. Somebody whose adversity level is like their 10 is above what we're going through now. Like, I don't want this to be the first one that they're going through. And there are going to be times, obviously, especially when you get to higher levels where, and I don't know if I can do this. That's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be doing that every day in some way, shape or form. So understanding that keeps you on the right track. But there's a lot of people that feel that now that I'm in this place, it's easier. But the reality is once you get to a certain place, again, once you sign, now the real work for you is beginning. Now the real opportunity for you to look at your faults, all your inadequacies, naked, just bare bones and say, okay, this is where I'm at. If I really want to get to this place, no bullshit. What does it take? How far do I have to go to get there? And am I willing to do it every day? 
Yep. And then NFL and among many other things in life, it's killer be killed and survival of the fittest. I mean, that's big motivation there to stay on top of your game, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually. And guys come and go because, you know, it's not life or death like it is on the battlefield. But I mean, you can get seriously injured, but it's all about just staying on top and keeping that sword sharp. You know, everything that we've discussed, especially stoicism has helped me stay on top of my game. And a big thing they like to say in sports is control what you can control. And the one thing about Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus, it comes down to the only thing that you really can control is your mind, your attitude, your perspective, like nothing else. You can't even control some things in your body, but it's all about that mindset. I think that we discount that in society because I've just seen just a major difference in going through that humbling experience that I did where it was a metaphorical death because I came out a different person. It's like a phoenix rising from the ashes. And just that shift in that mindset and that perspective has helped me so much to get where I am today and not only stay at the top of my game because I'm intentional about everything that I do. I think I've built a self-awareness that I know when I'm getting off track. And there's that little voice in my head that says, Nick, better get on track. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. It's just little things like that that I've learned through football and football and sports are a microcosm of life. So I feel like I've lived five lifetimes and I have five lifetimes worth of experience just life lessons that I've learned. I like to write things down. Like Marcus Aurelius had his journal that he wrote everything down. And when you write things down and then they're out of your mind, it's a spiritual cleanse kind of, you know, you get it out of your mind and spirit. And that's something that's helped me is not only continuing to learn, but writing things down, journaling. I'll even take videos of myself talking just to get it out of me. But it's little things that you pick up along the way that help you keep that edge. And like you say, when you journal it, you can do all kinds of questions you can ask yourself. Fear does not exist on paper. So if I write down what's going on and I write down what I'm afraid of or what I'm allowing to be something that I'm fearful of, it doesn't have nearly as much impact when it's on paper because what does it literally do? When I write it on here, now it's not me anymore. I'm literally having to change my perspective. I can look at it objectively, almost like when you're watching film and you're like, Oh, I was doing this. And then you look at the film, it's like, no, you weren't. You thought you were, or you believed that you were, or you started to, but then you got tired and now you weren't explosive or now you're not paying attention or now your head's not on the swivel. And now you get caught or now that guy is coming across the line before you even see it. And it's too late because you don't have any capacity to adapt to it. You're reacting more than responding. And when we can do things like say, what's my adversity skill? Like no bullshit. What I'm facing right now, I'm stuck in traffic or whatever it is. If it was like your lowest point when you had the stopwatch waiting for your dad to come and then you compare the workout that you're doing, it's like, and what am I complaining about? And that gives us that radical acceptance. So if we could just say yes to everything that's coming to us, it doesn't make us slow down. We don't have to hesitate because as soon as we get to that place of acceptance, now I can begin to take action to change it. But if I'm, if I'm in denial, if I'm bargaining, if I'm angry, if I'm justifying the behavior, it doesn't allow me to do what needs to be done. And in that moment, whether it be in war or whether it be on the playing field, that moment is enough for us to become the victim more than the victim. Yeah. And it's something I've learned. I think it was from Jocko, detaching yourself from things, getting that eagle eye view. Because in the moment, there's so much emotion and, you know, your mind has to be bigger and stronger than your emotions and your feelings. And a lot of times we can't get to that acceptance because there's all that emotion, you know. So if you can take the time to detach yourself. One thing we talk about within the Cowboys organization is neutral thinking, which is along the lines of stoicism being objective. So basically, you're going to be screwed if you're negative thinking. Like there's statistics to say that if you have those negative toxic thoughts, that it's going to affect what you do. And you don't always want to be positive either. You want to be neutral. You don't want to focus on emotions. You want to focus on actions. If you mess up on a play, don't focus on how you feel about it. Focus on the actions that'll take to fix that. So I mean, there's bits of stoicism throughout everywhere. And I think it's such a practical philosophy that a lot of people would benefit if they knew about it. I wish I would have learned about it a long time ago, but it took me going through what I did to seek out knowledge of what was happening in my life to eventually come across something that helped me. And that's how we get there. They say that necessity is the mother of invention, but it's not. Adversity is. It forces us to get to this place. It forces I'm right back down. <laughs> It's the truth, man. I mean, like when I was injured, I'm laying there and I have all this philosophy in my head. I can regurgitate all these quotes to you. It sounds like flowery bullshit when you're the guy in the bed or you're the guy that's hurt or you're the guy that can't 
get signed. And now you get to this place and it's like, oh, what was me? But again, if I allow that emotion to go in, emotions assassinate the truth. I will drown in that if I allow it to happen. And then eventually I start to enjoy that feeling of being a victim. And now I want everybody else to, because what is it now? I don't have to be responsible for anything. Oh, I can't do anything about it. And then you surround yourself with people that either think that way or allow you to do that. It's almost like you're giving an alcoholic a drink and that doesn't serve them. Yeah. You're so wise, man. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation because there's not a lot of people who have that perspective and that wisdom to sit here and not only talk about their adversity, but practical things that you can use in your life to get through adversity. This is awesome for me. I'm enjoying this so much because I don't get to talk about this kind of stuff because a lot of things in society is superficial. And I feel like this is all just about self-awareness and personal development and growth. And that's why there are people like us who are on that path to discovering ourselves that we're elevated from the average person and mediocrity because we're intentionally choosing to seek truth. I think everybody that's listening to this is in that same place. And I think the reason why is because you've tasted mediocrity. You've tasted what it felt like to not be there. What does Goggins talk about? He uses that negativity to feed him. Again, for me being 40 and doing all this stuff and where should I be at 40 years old? I should have a wife and kids and 401k and retired and all this. And I didn't have any of that. So it was like a very brutal reality slapping me right in the face. And it's like, now what? Now what are you going to do? Now what are you willing to do? And even then, even after I got out of it, I began to recover. There's a part of me that still was like, oh, you know, you got time. Oh, it's all right. Oh, you know, wait till tomorrow. And it's not an unhealthy relationship with fear or adversity, but in my mind, that's the thing that keeps me going. And even then, I still have time for my family, time for my friends. I allow myself the downtime because I have to have it. The reason why Bruce Lee could punch so quickly on the one-inch punch was because he could relax completely and then explode. And it just comes all at one time. So there has to be that downtime, obviously, to recover. But at the same time, having that mentality, that warrior mentality before you go into anything makes you much more cognizant of how important this single decision can be, whether it be what we're putting in our body. Am I hydrated? Again, in the military, if I was dehydrated, it put my teammate in danger. Same thing in football. That's exactly it, right? Like if you're not doing your job, yeah, you're not getting supplements, you're not getting enough protein, you're literally hamstringing the guy that should be blocking for you or the guy you should be blocking for. So that accountability keeps us going. And you talk so much about your faith and how that helped you. Can you tell us about how that faith helped you, especially in that darkness, in that darkest point? I know that you've read a lot of books and I'm sure the Bible was part of that, but was there anything specific that really jumped out for you at that time? I've always been in church and my dad prayed with me every night. My relationship with Christ and my faith has always been internal. I'm not one to like put my hands up and be all extroverted about it, but there was just something about when everything was what I thought taken away from me and I was isolated and all the distractions, much like you, Ed, everything went away. And I really just started listening to that champion that was inside of me. Because, you know, you have those two voices. You have one that is a victim and you have one that's a victor. And I just started leaning into that, that victor champion voice. And I started reading the Bible every day, morning and night. And the Bible is the book of victory. There's all these personal development books, but they, all those lessons and all those things that they teach, I can find back in a 2000 year old book. And I had never felt more at peace or gratitude for what was happening to me. I didn't enjoy it, but there was this joy. I wasn't happy because I feel like happy is sometimes circumstantial, but there was joy. And I've always just been having that super spiritual kind of connection with God. My dad will say it's because he had five preachers on his side of the family, but it just took everything being taken away. But, you know, God was really just preparing me for this opportunity now. He put me in the fire to purify me and refine me and to give me this perspective and this testimony. And I really just felt connected to him and to myself when I was metaphorically laying on that bed like you were. And I didn't have control of my life, but I had control of what I could think. And there's more to my story than it would take two hours to talk about, you know, but God's given me physical signs. And that's a story for another day. 
that would just take forever. But I've seen God's grace and his miracles. And a lot of times it just takes taking the bullshit in your life and stripping it away, stripping away all the distractions to where you're just sitting there in your thoughts. And there'll be a voice that comes up, at least in my opinion, and it's that voice of a champion. And, you know, I feel like whether that's the Holy Spirit or God or there's something inside of us, like the creator of the universe lives inside of us. And we have a supercomputer for a brain. So I was like, man, I can do anything. And the more I read and the more I listened to other people's stories from David Goggins, Annie Brazella, just all these famous motivational speakers, I'm like, dang, anybody who ever did anything went through some shit. They went through the mud and got power from not only reading things in the Bible, but hearing other stories. And I knew that I had to be intentional and laser focused. There's a passage in the Bible where the disciples are on the boat and Jesus has walked out on water. And he tells, I think, Peter to come to him. And Peter starts walking out on the water, but then he starts looking at all the distractions around him and he starts to sink. And I'm like, dang, that's so real. Like I've got to be laser focused on my goal and not let the distractions take me off course because if I can focus on my goal and I can focus on my faith, I can do anything. The funny thing is I would get this jar of mustard seeds because there's this passage in the Bible that's if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and you tell the mountain to move, it'll move for you and nothing will be impossible for you. So when I was going through my really dark moments and even to this day, I'll eat a little mustard seed when I get up just to remind myself always to have faith because that mustard seed is tiny. And to tell a mountain or adversity to get out of your way and nothing will be impossible for you. You just need that much faith. And when you combine it with that work ethic and you develop that grid, I feel like you can do anything. And that's just the story of Nick Ralston, the underdog. <laughs> I love it. It's a powerful story. What is something that the world around you believes or feels is important, but you deny? I feel like a lot of people, you know, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be genuine. I feel like a lot of Times people want people to like them, so they'll act a certain way. They won't be themselves. And I've gotten to the point where I'm going to be me. I'm going to believe what I believe. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be genuine. I'm going to tell my story. A lot of people don't want me to talk about my faith, but I think that's such an important ingredient to who I am. And like I said, I have this crazy testimony of overcoming a lot of adversity in the sports realm and business realm. And when people, when they can see your authenticity, like David Goggins, he's as authentic as it gets. People can relate to that. They can resonate with that. They're not being tricked. I would say that though, that's one thing that being a hundred percent authentic and who you are a hundred percent of the time, because you get around people and they're just one way around one person and one way around another talking behind each other's backs. So I'd say that. I think it's a great point. And it's also the only thing that is truly sustainable for us. We're not telling a story. We're not using a narrative. We're just being ourselves. And we can evolve and change. But again, the foundation of who you are, the foundation of where you're going, about the underdog, about having that dog mentality, even when we're winning to keep us in that place of, okay, but let's do some negative role play here to see how we can continue to move forward. What's the contingency? All these kind of ideas. And I want to start talking about what you're doing in the off season with your business, but can you tell us some books? We, we've talked about Stoicism, Ryan Holiday. Uh, we've talked about the Bible. I'm sure that a fan of the Donald Robertson who wrote How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, incredible book. I haven't read that yet. Get the audible version. His voice is amazing and it's incredible. But how about this? If there's somebody that's going through a dark night of soul right now, what is a book that you would recommend for them to help them kind of push through it? You know, I got a lot of power from reading Tony Robbins books, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, Laws of Success and Habits. My favorite one is Outwitting the Devil, because I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to about how the enemy tries to keep us from being great. There was a lot of audiobooks that I listened to. I mean, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and all the books by Jocko, Discipline Equals Freedom. Oh, man, he has like three books that are great. Even podcasts, you know, listening to Andy Frazella's podcast, Chad Wright, Three of Seven Project. That's a great one. Ed Milet. Ed Milet is my guy. I mean, it's crazy. I messaged him on Instagram and he actually got back to me and he was 
speaking to me in a voice message. This old successful guy, like he's taking the time to talk to me. So, I mean, I, I listen to Ed Milet's podcast every day. Brad Lee is another guy with a great podcast. But shoot, yeah, that's some of the stuff that I like to listen to. What is the worst piece of advice you hear about personal development repeated by people all the time? Because there's a lot of trash out there that people just kind of regurgitate because it sounds neat or it's a cool phrase. But those of us that have actually been through it know that a lot of it's a bunch of crap, the stuff that they kind of repeat. Is there anything that comes to mind? I can't think of anything right now, but I mean, there's so many quotes because I like to focus on the ones that are positive and that are true. <laughs> I actually can't think of something right. I, I know that, you know, right after this call, I'm like, dang, I wish I said it. I think it may be kind of an example I would give is what you were saying, where there's no authenticity, where it's easy for me to be philosophical about somebody else's headache because it's not me. But then when it is me, all of a sudden it's different. And all of a sudden, oh, well, I'm the exception. The rule is like, no, you're not. It happens to all of us. Don't think that you're special. Don't think that you're unique. And by keeping ourselves honest like that, it keeps us from getting blindsided by it. But kind of like I was saying, where I was like, I thought that other people would get injured in the military. Oh, I thought that if I got injured, it would be in combat. And it's like, man, it happens fast. And we don't always have time to really process it. Now that I think about it is, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, you aren't special. And I think that's big in that space. They try to beat, beat people down, but like you have to flip that and realize that, you know, you are uniquely made by your creator and you do have these qualities. You are special. Every man that we meet is superior to us in some way, man or woman. That's one thing that I've heard, you know, whether it's a coach or a girl or you aren't special. Now that I think about it in your mind, you have to know how to flip things to make it to your advantage or to strengthen you or empower you. But yeah, I really don't like to focus on things that aren't true. You know, I mean, I could tell you five different positive things that I believe. They're all pretty simple. But I think that's good. I think that shows what you're actually accentuating by focusing on it. You know, the one thing, now the thing about it, that's just great. Conor McGregor says, if I don't win, I learn. And I think that that is just having that perspective that you can never fail. Anything that doesn't go your way is just a growth opportunity. And you grow through what you go through. In addition to another quote, working while you wait, you're going to have that middle section where you're going to have the opportunity to work to when you get that opportunity. For me, it was pro day and you work to maximize for that lucky break because I believe that if you keep working and you're intentional with everything that you do, that there's going to be life and universe or whatever will will have that opportunity where you take advantage and then that's your break and then you're out of the darkness. But if you don't, if you aren't intentional about working while you wait, then you might have had opportunities pass by that could have taking you to that next level. But I mean, that's one thing that I heard back in college, you know, working while you wait and Conor McGregor, you know, speaking that victory, if I don't win, I learn. Those are some quotes that really resonate with me. I think it's absolutely true. And then even like you said, this notion of not being special, it's like, I'm not special at all. I'm not unique. What I am is disciplined. And to the undisciplined, I appear to be special and unique because they don't have that discipline. Therefore, what I'm doing all of a sudden, oh, well, I'm prepared when the opportunity presents itself, or I continue striking until the preparation allows opportunity. And that's what we have to do. And so many people think that it's just going to be on a silver platter for us. And it's like, no, you have to go fucking get it because everybody wants it. Everybody wants it to land into their lap, but very few people are making it happen. It's not the lottery guys. You have to go out there. You have to go make it happen. And you have to be willing to fall down in the process and look stupid when everybody else is worried about looking good. And then once you fall down and you fail epically, and then you wipe yourself off and you're like, I'm not made out of porcelain, I'm all right. And then you start to believe. And the people that are afraid of failing should just fail more often and they'll develop a thicker skin. Yeah. No, luck is just when preparation meets opportunity. There's so many things that you can take and add them to your tool belt. It's been fun talking about this. You know, I'm, this is it's the most fun I've had in a while since football season. Good, that's the idea. And so transition into what you're doing in the off season, you're in real estate as well. And a lot of people would say, well, how do you have time to do that? But I think if you've listened to this conversation thus far, you see that he's very diligent. It's not as if it's some haphazard idea. He has a certain amount of hours that he's putting into whatever he's doing and he has a system. So tell us about what you're doing with the real estate. Can we come to you for real estate? What does this look like? Tell us all about it. So, I mean, kind of to start off, I had kind of networked with the former cowboy during this season and then met at one of his events, a, a realtor from this brokerage called England Volkers. And they're actually an international brokerage from Hamburg, Germany. And they have this global reach and they're not that prevalent in Texas. There's five shops around 
Dallas-Fort Worth, and we're looking to grow the Dallas-Fort Worth shops. But the head broker that I ended up working under, who's been a mentor to me, was actually Jason Witten's realtor, who is one of the most famous Cowboys football players. I think he played here for like 17 or 18 years. It's funny how it just worked out and end up working with her. And, you know, she's helped me set up a system to where, you know, during the season that I'll still be able to sell real estate by having a team with delegating different responsibilities. But, you know, I'm just starting to get that really going. And, you know, I'm also starting a nonprofit, starting a brand. I met guys during the season that ended up having a lot of resources and a lot of connections. And I told them my idea and they've taken that idea and running with it. And, you know, that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier in the podcast, or this project that we're working on that it's going to be a big deal that a lot of people can resonate with. And it's along the lines of being an underdog and having that underdog mentality. So I've got four or five projects that I'm working on right now. And honestly, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable because I've got so much things on my plate and I'm like, dang, like, how am I going to get all this done? Like, then I remember it's the same concept as the concept of growth. You know, you can't grow without being a little bit uncomfortable. Resistance training, you're squatting, you got to load up the weight. And I even feel that I'm getting stronger mentally, just handling all these different projects, being intentional with my time. It's been fun. If you do need any real estate needs, I know brokers from all around the country and all around the world. I actually just got back from Las Vegas where we had our annual conference for Ingle Volkers called EBX. So I networked with agents all across North America. So if people needed anything real estate, any real estate needs, whether it's in, in Texas or California or Missouri or New York or Florida, anywhere, you know, I know agents that can, you know, actually we call them advisors because they don't really take beginners in our brokerage. It's a, it's a luxury brand. We pride ourselves on providing a luxury experience at any price point. So we call ourselves advisors because we're going to take care of you. We're not just an agent in a transaction. We're your fiduciary and, you know, we're going to get the job done. But yeah, if you just reach out to me, I can get you in contact with the best advisors all over the world. But yeah. I'd love to come back on when our project here in about maybe a month, 45 days to two months, because, you know, we got a lot of stuff planned and combining that with Dallas Cowboys brand and it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. That's what keeps me up working. You know, I was working out early yesterday, but leaving the office at nine o'clock just because I'm, I'm so excited and passionate about it. So it's going to be cool. So Nick Ralston, where can we find out more? Should we go to a website? Should we go to your Instagram? Where do we follow you? Where do we learn more about everything that you're doing and what you're going to be doing in the near future? Instagram is a great place to reach out. It's just Nick Ralston 22. Same thing on Twitter, Nick Ralston 22. And then on Facebook, it's Nick Ralston. And it's the Dallas Cowboy one. So pretty easy to find. Man, I appreciate you taking the time. I feel like we've almost been talking for about two hours. I've definitely learned a lot from this conversation. It's always fun for me to share my testimony and hear from other people who've been through adversity. So I really appreciate you having me on. It's an honor to have you and thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Non Verba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.